You know, the old folks used to say he watches over you when you didn't have sense enough to watch over yourself. Sometimes God didn't keep you from it, but you can testify he kept you through it. Have I got a witness in here anywhere? Through many dangers, toils, and snares, we have already come. I, I, I want to stay right there just for a minute. Just, just, let's just say a thank you. Thank you. You, you ought to be able to say it for yourself to the Lord because you know better than your neighbor knows what God has brought you through. They may have an idea, but you have the reality. Thank you for taking good care. Thank you for taking good care. Thank you for taking good care of me. Come on, everybody, just say it for yourself. Everybody, stay right there. Thank you. Thank you for taking good care. Mm. Thank you for taking good care. Thank you for taking good care of me. Lord, when I didn't have sense enough to watch over myself. Thank you for taking good care. Thank you for taking good care. Thank you for taking good care of me. Come on, one more time. Just say it for yourself. Everybody say thank you. Thank you for taking good care. Lord, I thank you. Thank you for taking good care. Made a way thank out of no way. Thank you. Thank you for taking <laughs> good care of me. Yeah, come on, give the Lord a hand of praise. Speak to us now, O oh Lord, we pray. Speak to our souls today, for this is why we've come. Dear Lord, we're ready for your word. Your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. Heaven and earth will pass, but God, your word will forever last. We are ready for your word. Father, as your word goes forth, let it go forth in power and might and find fertile ground in our hearts that what we hear, we will believe and what we believe it will help us to become all that you desire us to be. We thank you and we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So one of the enjoyable things in life that I get to participate in is the opportunities to help churches, uh, to consult with churches, to consult with pastors, to help them work through some of the challenges and difficulties they may be going through. I was consulting for a church here in the Houston area, 
And typically, I will start off any consulting assignment by doing an assessment. And that assessment will include a survey. And so one of the questions on the survey was on a scale of 1 to 10, how loving and friendly would you rate the church? Now, simultaneously to that assessment and that survey being done with the membership, I will also ask visitors the same thing. As a matter of fact, those of you who are first-time visitors, when you go to our guest relations ministry, you should receive a first impression card. And that first impression card asks questions like, what did you like the least? What did you like the most? What did you notice first? Was the church warm and friendly, etc." So I have the same question that I'm asking to the congregation that I'm asking to the visitors. In the same space, on the same Sunday, I got answers diametrically opposed to each other. The church members said, on a scale of 1 to 10, 9 and 10s. Our church is loving, friendly, and warm. The visitors, for the same question, had ones and twos. And had statements like this written in. Nobody spoke to me. Not warm, not welcoming, not friendly. So here's the question. How could, in the same space, one group of people say, loving, warm, and friendly, and the other group of people say, cold and unfriendly? And here's what I came to understand. The members said they were a loving, friendly church because they were loving and friendly to each other. They didn't speak to the visitors. Matter of fact, they literally ran past the visitors to get to somebody they already knew. It's like, excuse me, excuse me. Hey, good to see you this week. So which answer was more accurate? Was the church really warm and friendly and loving? Or was it really cold and unwelcoming? I submit to you, my brothers and sisters, that the answer of the visitors was really more accurate than the answer of the members. It's kind of like that old adage in education. Has the teacher taught if the students haven't learned? Right? Are we really loving and welcoming and friendly if the people who we are supposed to be loving, welcoming, and friendly to don't feel loved, welcome, or feel like they met a friend? Today is a special Sunday for us because it's a Sunday that we reaffirm why God has placed us here. I want to talk today from the thought, making others feel welcome in his church making others feel welcome in his church. And if you want to change one word, you can change his to God's. Because this is really not about what you think. It's really not about what I think or what we feel. This is really what God has to say about his church. If you have your outlines, would you say amen? amen. If you need an outline, raise your hand and the ushers will get one to you. Three things I want you to see today to encourage you to make others feel welcome in his church. Here's the first thing. Number one, you must welcome all people like Jesus Christ received you. 
you must welcome all people like Jesus Christ received you. Verse 7, Romans 15 says, therefore, welcome one another. Underline that phrase. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. That word welcome in the original language means to take to oneself, to display friendship or hospitality to another or to treat with kindness. He says, you and I have a responsibility to walk, welcome one another. Now, it's in the imperative mood, which means what? It's a command. This is not a choice. This is not based upon what you like, who you like, who you don't like. He says, all of us are commanded to welcome one another. We've had some episodes recently and actually historically about fraternities and sororities and their hazing incidences. Uh, in the news just recently is a family and the president of Penn State University uh, working to combat hazing, and they don't want the death of their 19-year-old to be in vain. This 19-year-old uh, died because he drank too much alcohol in too short a time period uh, but we also know of stories of people who were hazed physically, who were killed or who were maimed or who were injured for the rest of their lives. And typically when you talk to some of these fraternities or sororities who have been accused of hazing excessively, you, you hear them say things like, well, that's what I went through in order to become part of the fraternity or sorority. And I'll be honest with you, that's why I'm not a part of a fraternity or sorority right now. Not a sorority. Although that may be safer than the fraternity, you know what I mean? <laughs> no, because when they started talking to me about, you know, oh, yeah, see, you know, your dad, my dad was amazing. They'd be like, oh, no, see, you know, you, it, it's just a little beating you got to take and whatnot. Listen, I was beat enough by the man named Cofield. I don't need no other beatings from nobody to be a part of another family. I got enough to carry the name that I got right now. They are vividly etched in my memory. You're not praying with me. And I am secure in who I am. You understand what I'm saying? I'm good. I don't need no handshake in the dark or the light. I'm good. I promise you. Because that cat, even though he is in heaven, I still remember the whippings on earth. You understand what I'm saying? But, but, but watch this. What's the standard by which entry into the organization has been established? Well, here's the question. When it comes to the church... How do we make people feel welcome and wanted? And the text says, just like Christ has welcomed you. See, over 60 times in the Bible, we see the phrase one another. Here we see welcome one another. But in other places, we see love one another, pray for one another, encourage one another, help one another, right? Over 60 times. Why? Because you really can't be an effective growing Christian in isolation. See, there may be somebody here right now, and you may be thinking, you know what, Pastor, I hear what you're saying about church, and man, and everything is cool, and I like you, man, you're a cool guy. But you know what, I can be a Christian at home by myself, and you're absolutely right, but you won't be a good Christian or a growing Christian. You know why? Everybody thinks they are great Christians until they come in contact with somebody else. It's in the context of relationships 
that we discover who we are and who we are not. And if you don't believe it happens in the context of a relationship, those of you who are married, just think about how many of your flaws have been pointed out with the person that you said I do to. Some of you didn't find out how messed up you really was until you got married. <laughs> and you had that objective witness standing next to you to let you know how messed up you are. And they called a husband or a wife, right? The truth of the matter is we can only fulfill our potential as a Christian in the context of community. So here's what he says. You need a standard by which you determine how you welcome somebody. He says, how did Christ welcome you? When Christ found you, he didn't find you at your, wor at your best. He found you at your worst. I mean, you were messed up, jacked up, tore up from the floor up. I mean, he found you when you were at your worst. You clean up good now, but he knew you when. And then loved you so much, he didn't tell anybody where he found you when you were messed up. And for some of you in here who look good in public, he still knows how much of a work in progress you are in private. So here's what Paul says. The same love that God showed you, why don't you show that to somebody else? Instead of being judgmental because their issue is not your issue or because they're still working more on their issue than you are on your issue, he says instead of looking down or looking side-eyed at somebody, why not look at them through the lens of which God looked at you and make them feel welcome? Galatians 3.28 says there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Let's go to number two. Secondly, you must welcome all people to help them become their best. You must welcome all people to help them become their best. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to look at the person next to you and tell them it's not all about you. Yeah, you just figured out they were saying the same thing to you, right? You're like, what you mean not about me? Look at Romans chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. The Bible says when Jesus was hanging on the cross, a thief on his left and a thief on his right, one of the thieves said to him, if you are the son of God, come down and save yourself. You have the ability to save, save yourself. But the thief didn't understand that he wasn't on the cross for his sins, Jesus' sins. He was on the cross for the thief's sin. And if he came down and saved himself, he wouldn't have been able to stay and save him. 
Church is one of the most selfish places in the world. Because when we come in, we pray for ourselves. We're looking out for ourselves. It's about my feelings. And you hurt me. And I'm not coming back to that church anymore. Because you hurt my feelings. Pastor didn't call my name. Deacon walked by me and didn't speak. It's not about you. Paul says, we bear with the failings of the weak, not to please ourselves. Now, if I ask how many of you are strong Christians, most of you would keep your hands down. Either you don't believe that you're strong or you have false humility. I got you. But if I asked you right now, how many of you know a Christian who's weaker than you are? Who's struggling more than you are? Who's faltering in an area that you have gotten to a place of somewhat living successful? All of us know some Christians who are less mature than we are who are behind us in this Christian walk. Paul says, those of you who are strong, if you are stronger, then you have an obligation to help those who are weaker. Not to come to church looking at what you can get and what's about you. See, let me tell you one of the reasons we have so many feelings when we come to church. One of the reasons we have so many feelings is that somehow we've gotten church confused with heaven. See, we think because people in the church talk about heaven, then the church must be heaven. So we come in broken, battered, messed up, bad attitudes, foul actions, and when we hit the campus, it's like, <laughs> And then when we run into other broken, battered, beat up, messed up folk, we're like, I can't believe you act that way. You act in the same way. Listen, it's not about you, but here's what I've learned. When you make it about the other person and we both make it about the other, then we both end up being edified in the process. Listen, if I come into church and I'm sitting here and I say, you know what? I got my needs and I'm in my pain and, 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 I'm, and I'm, I'm sitting here next to to Deacon Witchett, and I'm sitting here, and I'm, I'm waiting on Witchett. Don't get the back of my head. Come on, Sean, get the front. Oh, Jesus, man. Come on, stay, stay. Somebody says it's not about me. I, honestly, <laughs> but it's not about my head either. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, come, come on, Sean, there we go. So, so listen, so if I'm sitting here, and, and I'm next to Deacon Witchett, and, and, and I'm sitting here in my issues and my feelings, and, and which it is in his feelings and he's in his issues. Guess what? Neither one of us leave here being encouraged along the way. But if I can put myself aside enough to say, brother, how can I encourage you? And he can put his stuff aside enough to say, brother, how can I encourage you? Then guess what? We both leave encouraged. Because we stopped waiting for somebody to encourage us and we made a decision to encourage somebody else. Somebody hear me in here today. Paul says, those of you who are strong, bear. 
bear with the failings of the weak. That word for bear literally means to carry. It's the picture of a mother or father carrying a child and moving that child from where they are to where they want to be and where they need to be. How do you bear their failings? It's like going to sleep in the car when you're a child and waking up in the bed and you don't know how you got there. But as you got older, you figured out how a child gets from the car asleep to the bed waking up. It's because a father or mother picks them up and carries them and takes them where they need to be. And so he says, build them up. Build them up. That phrase for build up, oikodome. Oikodome is the word in the Greek. And, and it literally means to build a structure or to fortify a structure. It's like seeing a structure that needs additional support. And so you start adding two by fours or two by sixes in structural places in very, very strategic places to make sure that the floor doesn't collapse or that the wall doesn't fall down. He says we have to learn how to build up one another, not tear down, build up one another so that we can help one another. That's our job. And when we build them up, we deposit with them in them hope. That word hope is an anticipation for a better future, right? Uh, encouraging them to continue on. Look at A. The Bible says, A, uh, we help people find endurance. Endurance. What does that word endurance mean? It, it means uh, to be constant, to be vigilant, to be patient. Um, that, that we encourage other people not to give up, but to go on. The last thing folk should experience when they come to church is a feeling like they should go on and give up. They should experience when they come to the house of God, inspiration and information that moves them to go on even when they felt like giving up walking in the door. You should leave here feeling better. And it's not just the preaching of the word that should make somebody feel better. It's the person that they come in contact with. But look at B. He says it's not just endurance. B, encouragement from the scriptures. You should look for encouragement from the scriptures. That word for encouragement from the scriptures, that word encouragement is an interesting word. It's, it's in the Greek word. It's, it's, it's the word paraklesis which is interesting because those of you who are familiar with the prayer of Jesus in the Gospel of John, when he says, I will send you another comforter, that word comforter is paraclete, right? Speaking of the Holy Spirit coming. So basically what Paul is saying is Paul is saying the encouragement that you need, the help that you need is not only given to you by the person of the Holy Spirit, but it's also provided for you in the word of God. You want to know why the enemy wants to keep you away from the word? Because he knows there's encouragement in the word. Man, forget reading a chapter a day. He won't let you get to the daily bread. Forget the daily bread. He won't let you read the verse of the day. Why? Because he knows there's encouragement in God's word. And here's the problem for many of us. We neglect the word because we don't want to associate God in our lives because of our disdain 
and dislike for people who represent God. Can I tell you what? I have dealt with so many bigoted, racist Christians that if I didn't know God for myself, I wouldn't even want to be associated with being a Christian. But I've come to understand that my relationship with God, if I am not careful, I will put it in somebody else's hand. So I'm not going to let them define God for me. And I'm not going to allow their misinterpretation of who God is or God's will for my life keep me from knowing God in a personal way. I'm trying to help somebody in here who has stayed away from church because of church folk. When it's really about God. The Bible says he is a God who provides endurance and encouragement. I tell every new member here, when you come, Discovery 101, if I'm in that session, I tell you, you are not here to make me a big preacher. I am here to make you a big Christian, to help you be the best Christian you could possibly be. Man, that's my goal. That's my desire. That's my dream. That's my focus. It's not about what people think about me. It's about what God knows about you. Now, listen to me carefully. How would you feel having somebody in your life who said it's about you? And helping you be the best that you could be. Ladies, what would you say if you had a man, you were looking for a husband, and you met a man, and, and this brother said to you, he said, sweetheart, I love you. How can I help you be the woman that God wants you to be? How can I be the wind beneath your wings to encourage you mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically? Some of y'all like, talk, brother. <laughs> Some of the brothers are taking notes. Say that again, Pastor. Hold on, say that again. <laughs> How can I help you become all that God intends for you to be? You'd be like, man, that, that, that is not such a brother anywhere, right? That's what most women will say, no. And if you're married to a brother and he said that, you'd be like, what, what's wrong? What you do? <laughs> Brothers, what would you say? You're looking for a wife and that woman says, sweetheart, you know, I love you. And I just want you to know I want to compliment you. I respect you. I want to honor you. And I want to fulfill you. I, don't, I want to complete you. How can I serve you and help you be the man that God has created you to be? Man, say that to a brother. He pulled his wallet out. Here, take it. Whatever. You got it. Here's my social security number. 145-324. You can have it all. Take it all. Because the truth of the matter is, when we go into a marital relationship, we don't talk about what we bring. And we don't talk about how we can help somebody become. We're looking out for what they can bring to us. Man, I was talking to a sister one time. She's telling me about, you know, she's looking for a man or whatnot. And, and I said, really? I said, so you want to get married? I said, so what are you looking for in marriage? Oh, I want a man that bam. I want a man that bam. I want a man that bam, 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 bam. You know what I mean? <laughs> she, was, 
I mean, she had it lined out, man, and was proud she had memorized her list. And here's what I said to her. I said, I got you. I said, but not one time have you talked about what you bring into the table. You're talking about finding a good man, but you haven't talked about being a good woman. Because if you spend your life trying to find the best and not work on becoming the best, then what you bring to the table is an inferior person and your cost is not worth your value. Somebody tweet that for me. what you want to find. You want an A brother, bring an A sister. Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Everything you need for right living is in the word. That's why the devil wants to keep you out of the word. It's profitable for doctrine. That's to teach you what's right. It's profitable for reproof. That's to teach you what's not right. It's profitable for, for correction. That's to teach you how to get right. And it's profitable for instruction and in righteousness. That's to teach you how to stay right. Everything you need for right living is in the word. Here's the third and final thing. Number three, you must welcome all people so God will be glorified. You must welcome all people so God will be glorified. Verse 6, that together you may one with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 7, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Now in verse 5, he talks about the God of endurance and encouragement granting you the opportunity to live in harmony with one another. Everybody say harmony. Harmony, harmony is to be like-minded, to be of one mind, so that we can move together because we are better together than we are apart. We had a former staff member who was here. We had, had some discussions, some open forum discussions among the staff about some issues and and I gave everybody an opportunity to share their opinion. And, and then I made a decision. And the staff person didn't like the, the decision I made. And so the staff person came to me and said, you know what, Pastor, I, can, can I just tell you what's on my mind? Sure. Said, you know, the problem I have with you sometimes, you think you're always right. And I said, well, you know, I don't know anybody who tries to intentionally think they're wrong, but okay. She said, you, you think you're always right. And you're not always right. And I said, you know what? You're right. I'm not always right. But guess what? I am in charge. And when you're in charge, you don't have to always be right to be in charge. Now, if we all on the same page in harmony, then we can move together to accomplish what I believe God wants us to accomplish. But if you have your idea and then you're mad because I don't agree with your idea, you're not always right either. And you're not in charge. And at the end of the day, when somebody leaves this campus, guess what they say? 
uh, oh, Good Hope. That's over there where Cofield is. They don't know or call your name. So you have a choice. You can line up or leave. That, it's real simple. Here's my point. God looks for harmony in the body. He looks for us to be on one accord in the body. Do you know how many great things we can accomplish if we all are like-minded and we all are together? So watch what Paul says. Paul says, glorify God with one voice. Glorify God. And that word for glorify is in the subjunctive mood, present tense, active voice, which means it is a possibility, but it does not necessarily have to be a reality. You have to choose. To glorify God, to give him praise, to give him honor, to magnify him. And how do we do that? When we learn how to welcome one another and love one another. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 14, and then I'm going to let you go. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility. God has given all of us an opportunity to display, articulate, to voice his glory, not just by our words, but by our actions when we learn how to love and welcome each other. So, I'm in college, first year. Just got saved, gave my life to the Lord in March of 1979. Man, I'm on fire for the Lord. And I go to college. Swarthmore College, maybe one or 2% minority. And so I'm looking for a place that, that I can culturally connect. So I've got to go to Chester to find a church. Uh, Chester's an interesting town. It's equidistant between Wilmington, Delaware, and Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. It is part of Delaware County. Delaware County at the time was the third richest county in the United States. Chester was the poorest city in the United States. Uh, you had two choices when you were a teenager there. The one KFC or drugs. That was your choice in terms of work. So, I find a church in Chester. I've got to take two buses to go to church. Two buses. Now, any of you who remember your college days, that was one of the questions you dreaded your parents asking you. You found a church yet? You going to church? Right? And you, how many times did you have to lie and cross your toes and fingers while you were talking on the phone, right? Or you say stuff like, yeah, I went by church. Uh, yeah, that just means you just rode by. You didn't go in. <laughs> so, I, you know, I had to be committed, man. My first year on a college campus, got my own key, can come and go as I please. And I'm taking two buses to get to church. So I go to this church. Takes me two buses to get there. I walk in. I'm carrying my Bible. Man, I'm walking into church, and nobody spoke to me. They walked by me, pushed by me to speak to each other. Nobody spoke to me. I sat there about two-thirds of the way back in the church through the entire service. 
Nobody said a word. And then, at the end of the service, just before we got ready to go, an old lady turned around, reached out a hand, and she said, hey, baby, how you doing? Thank you for coming to church today. And I said, yes, ma'am, thank you so much. And in my mind, I thought to myself, and it'll be the last time. <laughs> no, no, stay with me here. Because in my mind, I said, I'm not going to take two buses to be treated in an unfriendly manner or not to be made to feel welcome. Right? Like, I can go to some hangouts of sinners and be made to not feel welcome. Why? Why come to church? Why take two buses? Get up early on Sunday after whatever I was doing Saturday night to be made to feel unwelcome. Uh, you know what was interesting? Several years later, I got called to a church in that same town, Chester, Pennsylvania, and got invited to preach at that same church. And this time when I walked in several years later because I was Pastor Cofield, Hey, pastor, how you doing? Man, God bless you. You want to go to the pastor's office? And I'm just getting escorted all around and everything. And, and I thought to myself, how strange. Same person, just a different season, and I'm treated a completely different way. Here's what I thought about. Think about this for a moment. I took two buses to get to church. How many people are in church who may not take two buses but go through whatever they go through during the week to get to church. And if I have been beaten and broken and battered and just had a tough week and it took everything in me to get up on Sunday morning and get dressed and look better on the outside than I feel on the inside to come into church, I, I, this is my last place of hope, my last bastion of relief and I run into you. Will you make me bitter or will you help make me better? And you say, well, what if, what if I'm having a bad week? Then let's encourage each other. Let's encourage each other. Amen? Here's what I want you to do. I want everybody who can to stand. Everybody who can to stand. We got a pretty good crowd up in the balcony. Praise God. I want everybody to stand. Now, here's what we do. When we come to church, we find the people we know and we find the people we're familiar with. Can I tell you something? There's somebody in here. The only hug they're going to get today is the hug they get in this place. The only smile they're going to get is a smile that they get here. So here's what I want you to do. Don't count the folk you roll with. Don't speak to your family members. Don't speak to your friends. I want you to find a stranger, somebody you don't know, and just show them some love and make them feel welcome today. Upstairs in the balcony, you do the same. I need some of y'all who are down to go up, some who are up to go down. But find somebody in the front, go to the back. Just let them know, man, we're so glad to have you today. I'm just thanking God for you. I'm 
I'm so glad to see you. Somebody go in the back, find, uh, go out your way. Some of y'all staying in the front, y'all talking too much, talking too much. Just tell them I'm glad to see you, God bless you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, welcome, welcome. Bless you, man. Appreciate you, boy. Yes, sir, I see you. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. Yes, sir. Up in the balcony, amen. Somebody go upstairs. Some of the younger deacons, y'all run upstairs, man. See some of them folk upstairs, younger trustees. Y'all, let's make somebody feel welcome today. Man, we're glad you're here. We're thankful for you being here today. Hoping that you've been blessed. Hoping that you've been encouraged. Hoping that you've been encouraged to run on a little while longer. I need somebody to leave here today feeling like God loves you. You know it, and you're feeling God's love in this. Come on, if you're feeling God's love in this place. See, I need somebody to know God has no hands except our hands. He has no feet except our feet. He has no arms except our arm. So if somebody's going to feel a, a loving touch from God, it's got to be by our hands. If somebody's going to feel God's hug today, it's going to be because you hug them today. That's the only way they're going to feel it. That's the only way they're going to get it. Hallelujah. Come on, everybody who can, stay standing on your feet. If you can, I want to extend to you an opportunity right now to say yes to God. If you're here today, you've never asked the Lord into your life. If you're here today and you're looking for a church home, here's what I need somebody to know. Man, the church is not heaven. The church is not heaven. We are not a perfect people, which is why you are welcome in this place. Because none of us are. But what we're doing is trying to become all that God wants us to be. Paul says in, in that scripture, we are not to live for ourselves no more than Christ lived for himself. He didn't live for himself. He died to pay for a sin that he didn't even commit. And we are to be selfless in our living as well. If you're here today and you need God in your life, and listen, you know, we live in an age, man, where people have so many problems and issues with the church, and I understand that. 